0: A little bit of background. So you are in Weyburn, Saskatchewan. Is that, was that where you're from? Is that where you were born and raised?
1: I was actually born in Regina, Saskatchewan. And I was raised uh, in little villages kind of around the Southeast, a little uh, village called Minton, Saskatchewan. We were about, uh, you know, 30 clicks away from the American border. So I spent many a weekend down in Montana, like Plentywood, Montana. We'd go to the the, the country bar there and they'd have a live band. Yeah, And uh, that was kind of my music education back then. Uh, in Saskatchewan, it was all country. So yeah. the only thing I had to rebel against country was hair metal. So I got really <laughs> deep in a hair metal like Poison and Def Leppard and Bon Jovi and, and Slaughter in the Whole Nine Yards. So uh, th- that was my earliest. Uh, you know, my favorite part of my childhood was driving down to Plentywood, Montana. Yeah. Uh, you know, uh, with a six pack of beer, I, I found a six pack of Canadian beer uh, goes a long way in America because of course their beer is basically you know horse piss. Uh, so. <laughs> Uh, a girl's more likely uh, to make out with you if you got a six pack of Molson Canadian on you than uh, a pack of <laughs> Pabst Blue Ribbon or something.
0: <laughs> oh, this essential it's essential equipment on any road trip, right? It's decent beer. That's sorry. right. That's so right. Was that sort of when we when we talk about country from that era, is that sort of the old is that Waylon Jennings, you know, Willie Nelson, was it all that stuff or was it was that sort of the pop country, was that sort of creeping in or you Garth Brooks and that kind of stuff?
1: Well, and and see, around that time, like I didn't mind the old country, like whenever somebody would put on like Johnny Cash or, uh, you know, Chris Christopherson, Willie Nelson, Waylon Jennings, those guys, that was all fine. Yeah. Uh, Because in my household, I grew up on Elvis and I, you know, it was, it was a hundred percent Elvis all the time, but old country kind of fit in that mold. But when I was growing up, it was all this garbage, like Travis Tritt and it it was, was, what did Tom Petty call it? Like, you know, really shitty pop music with a fiddle. That's what it was. (laughs) So the only thing I had to rebel against that was the complete opposite, which at the time was, you know, in 84, 85 was hair
0: metal. So, (laughs) yeah, they were, they were weird times. And it's kind of like, cause I coming from UK, I have no, no concept of country at all. Really. The only, I think the first, honestly, the first time I heard country music, really like um, contemporary country music was friggin' achy breaky heart. That was the first thing that ever hit the charts that any was really heard. Now my granddad was into a lot of that stuff. Um, What's that Jim Reeve, the distant drums? And he, he would listen to Johnny Cash and those guys. But I was a little bit too young for that, right? I didn't really have that ear for country because I grew up with Queen and Black Sabbath and Deep Purple and the Kinks and all those guys. So country just sounded really foreign and really alien to me, right? So I didn't really get into that. And so... It's always interesting now when I go back and I listen to some of those early records, and I like a lot of those early country artists, and especially when you see that influence that fed into what Tom Petty was listening to. So those early country stuff and the early rock and roll stuff like Elvis and Chuck Berry and Bill Haley and all those guys. So you see elements of all those different bits and pieces creeping into his music, right?
1: Oh, 100%. And uh, you really hear the influence, especially in guys like Johnny Cash uh, on Tom Petty. And early Johnny Cash was very much like Jerry Lee Lewis and Carl Perkins and, and Elvis at the time, right? Like yeah. he was playing almost kind of pop and kind of segued more uh, into country, but all those influences are kind of encompassed by Tom Petty. And maybe that's why I love Tom Petty so much because he's got the Elvis, he's got the Carl Perkins, he's got little Jerry Lee in there, but he's yeah. got the Johnny Cashes and the Waylon Jennings of the world in there too, just to create his own sound that is so unique. And uh, yeah. what did Dave Grohl said? He's
0: just, it's just Tom Petty. You can't describe it any other way. Yeah, he sort of yeah, transcends sort of genre, right? Like, And he's definitely... I think, you know, if you, people say like Heartland Rock, I think it's that same label that I think Springsteen gets and a few other people get, but it, it's, I think it's one of those labels that just gets applied when people can't pin down, well, he's this, because, well, yeah, he does that sometimes, but then he'll throw in You Got Lucky and then he'll throw in a blues album or then he'll throw in a little bit of country or whatever. So he just, whatever the song needs, that's how he plays it. That's how he, how he writes it, right? Oh, it's
1: incredible. Even like his his concept album, Southern Accents, has this really weird sitar song written by an englishman dave stewart yeah. <laughs> called don't come around here no more like it's it's just so encompassing of what tom petty is it's great
0: absolutely and so just quickly for uh, my listeners so I met you, or sort of met you virtually, because we haven't met in person yet, um, through podcasting. And so Corey, for my listeners, is the host, and I've talked about this on my podcast before, is the host of, well, three podcasts at the moment, because he's just crazy. But And the podcast Will Rock, which is a Van Halen podcast, Backtracks Aerosmith, which is an Aerosmith podcast, and then Backtracks theme music. And I really got into uh, the Van Halen podcast, and Corey and Mark Meyer, who's his co-host, very kindly had me on the show. And it is you know without trying to blow smoke up your ass man i've told you this before it's one of the best formats on the internet your chemistry between you guys is phenomenal and it sort of sets a bar for music podcasting as far as i'm concerned so tell the uh, people about maybe just a little bit of background and how did you get into podcasting and obviously why why music why was that the thing you wanted to pick up on and go with well originally it was movie
1: trivia that got me into podcasting uh I, was, I always kind of loved movies and got into movies, and there was a, a thing on, on the internet called uh, Movie Trivia Schmodown that I was a fan of, and there was a little community of us who were kind of into that show, and all these little fan leagues started up, and one of the fan leagues was looking for a video editor, and in my day job, I've been a community television producer for over 20 years, so I have you know, easy access to editing software and stuff, so I just kind of put up my hand and said, I'll edit for you in my free time, yeah. and that's where I met Mark. He was one of the competitors in this Movie Trivia League. And uh, I became the commissioner of the geek-tacular division, which is all your geek movies like Star Wars, Star (laughs) Trek, and all that. Uh, And so I would do a weekly, and we treated it just like a sport, right? So I did like a weekly wrap-up show with different competitors, and Mark (laughs) would be on the show. And and so we talk about movies and stuff. And he did a podcast at the time called uh, uh, Rantings of a Maniac. And he would just kind of rant about whatever uh, kind of, he wanted, usually movies, geek stuff, but... Um, He also loved music. And after Eddie Van Halen passed away, he wanted to do one on Van Halen. And he's like, do you want to come on and talk a little Eddie Van Halen? Because they knew I loved classic rock. Yeah, And I said, absolutely. We did like an hour, hour and a half show just on Eddie Van Halen. It was just such an easy back and forth talking music with him, even though I'm considerably older than he is. And we have much different tastes. You know, I gravitate to, you know, the Tom Petty's of the world. He's more into like obscure European (laughs) death metal and stuff like that. (laughs) But we had this common ground with Van Halen that... Uh, one day, I just, you know, we, we still chatted every once in a while. I said, hey, you want to, you know, I, I got this podcast I really love called uh, Pot of Thunder, uh, where they're breaking down the entire Kiss catalog. And um, they mentioned on one of their shows, somebody asked them, what would be another great band to do? And Chris L., one of the hosts of Pot of Thunder, said, I think a Van Halen show would be great. Yeah. Because you, you don't want to pick a band that has a, an Immaculate catalog. because yeah. You know, so what I'm saying, this is great. This is great. This is great every week. Uh, you know, you could do an ACDC podcast, but the songs are so similar. Like you don't have a lot of variety in, in what you're talking about, but Van 100%. Halen, you got three, you got three different frontmen. You've got these, these very different eras of the band and, and you have some all time stinkers mixed in there too, that you can kind of have some fun, with. 90% of the catalog is brilliant. And 10% is just what the hell were you thinking? Uh, so we said, let's put all the Van Halen songs on a wheel. Let's spin the wheel every week and just talk about whatever comes up, Uh, which we thought, because Pot of Thunder kind of did something similar, just a random song every week. You don't know what's coming up, and a lot of people didn't believe us. They thought, oh, you must know going into recording. We have no clue, and you know because you've been on the show. We literally have a wheel. We literally spin the wheel. Whatever comes up, we're chatting about, so we don't always get our facts right, and that really ticks off a, a whole ton of people, but folks like yourself seem to really get the, the concept of the show and that we're rediscovering the catalog. We're not experts. We're just having fun listening to music we love and re reinvesting into the catalog and appreciating the band. So that's how uh, the show kind of got started. And uh, the next thing you know, we have the Deep Dive podcast people reaching out to us like, hey, yeah. do you want to be a part of the show? And we got Eric Sanich from Van Halen News Newsdesk uh, <laughs> writing articles on us and Greg Renoff, who literally wrote the book on early Van Halen being on the show. And it's kind of taken off from there.
0: So cool. And I think, like I said, I'll I'll tell my listeners why I love this show so much. And it is because of that. It's because sometimes you'll spin a song where it might be a song that you and Mark just haven't listened to in a long time, or even sometimes maybe when you just don't remember and haven't heard at all. So getting that live either first time or rediscovery in real time for a listener is super engaging, you know, and it makes you kind of evaluate, you know, if you're talking, oh, listen to this, listen to that. I think when you know a song really, really well, you tend to start to forget about certain parts of it. So for us fans who are sort of, you know, I was away from Van Halen for a long time and your podcast me podcast got me back into them. For me, it was like a reminder of I've forgotten just how good those guys were. You know, and then so we get in and you go through and we listen to the song and then we pause and we talk about it, it just brings a whole new appreciate level of appreciation for that music and those songs, which was it was it was a revelation to me that you could do something that way. It was amazing.
1: Well, revelation Dust too. Like, uh, <laughs> neither of us got r- really deep into a different kind of truth. When it came out, you kind of heard the singles yeah, and like, Oh, you know that that's okay. And kind of moved on. But in early episodes, we spent a lot of different kind of truth right off the hop. And it was like, this is a lot better than I remember. Yeah. And, uh, even songs like just not that long ago, we did, uh, uh mine all mine off of, ou you one And it's like, you know, that's a song Mark hadn't heard in forever. I just heard it. Yeah, and I'm like, oh, Mark, you're in for a treat. Wait for the wait for the guitar solo, and he was yeah. blown away. He's like, I forgot how great that was, and, and yeah. that's the fun for us. And I'm glad that that's carrying over to to some people listening to the show. That's amazing. Thank you.
0: Absolutely. And so you, we talked You're talking earlier. You mentioned earlier that you know Van Halen's got a a really good solid catalog, but there are a few plums in there. And my new podcast about Queen, there's definitely the same issue there with you know there's, <laughs> there's not, 70 89 percent of the catalog is fantastic, and there are elements of each song that are brilliant. Oh, some of them you think, man, oh man, who why did no one say, Don't put the invisible man on the miracle for Christ's sakes? What are you doing? You know, Delilah.
1: Delilah.
0: <laughs> a song Pretty about a song about his cat. <laughs> but when I got into sort of Petty's catalogue, that was that was one of the things that really sort of lit a fire under me with Tom Petty's. When I got into him, it was a lot later in life. And I'm one of those people who gets obsessive about new artists I find. So I got well, I'm gonna go back and I'll listen through and I'll start with the first album, the second album, Get to Damn the Torpedoes, and they didn't remarkably didn't really know Damn the Torpedoes, other than probably Refugee, maybe Here Comes My Girl. Get into hard promises, getting into one and then you think, wait a minute, this guy's it's hit, it's hit album after hit album after hit album, and not like seven, eight, nine out of ten on every song, but every album is really, really good. And then you keep going in and every, every album. I'm apart from one that I'm a little less enthusiastic about that I haven't talked about in my podcast yet. But then you get to Wildflowers and then it's game over, right? Then it's like this guy's just a genius like this guy can write literally any kind of song in any kind of style and make it his own and his, his lyric is honest you believe every single word he sings and that's what got me into it so how what, how deep is your sort of knowledge of Tom's Castle? what's your relationship with his music and how did you get into his to his stuff
1: well originally it was uh don't come around here no more that video uh back yeah. was huge and uh I remember not originally liking the song that much and the video was kind of freaky like what the hell is this like yeah but it but it was everywhere you couldn't escape it to me though the song that really got me into tom petty was from i'm thinking it might be the album you're not that fond of but uh let me up i've had enough okay Uh, the song the song was jamming me and that came out like this is you know that was a real banger yeah Uh, way back in 87 i thought you know this is great and then from there you got the wilburys then from the wilburys you got full moon fever and that was kind of I was full blown Tom Petty uh, ever since then because yeah.
0: "Jabbing Me" is a great song. Well, co-written with Bob Dylan, right? Bob Dylan and Mike that's Campbell right. co-wrote that, and so that comes off the back of obviously the Heartbreakers tour with Dylan and their backing band for that. Which again just always blows my mind that to go out on the road to support Bob Dylan—that's one thing that'd be honor enough, especially because you know Benmont Tench was a huge, huge Dylan fan, a Dylanologist. He knew his entire catalog inside out, um, and they'd always look to him for the key changes because Dylan would change keys. Just on a whim right well we're doing it in d yeah. now so they're all looking at ben like what the fuck dude what do we what do we play so they just follow him <laughs> but then to not only do that to go and open and play a half hour set of heartbreaker songs or 45 minutes whatever they did but then to be the house band for bob dylan actually you've got to have serious serious chops musically you can't do that if you're sort of just a an, an average rock band or a sort of a pubby kind of level you know because there are a lot of those rock bands around that time that just couldn't do that. They don't have the musicianship to do that. And so when you learn about that stuff, that's another layer where you think, okay, well, it's not just Tom Petty and it's not Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers' backup band. This is a band. This is a band who are tight as nails. They're just absolutely on and they can all play their instruments properly and they can all do it consistently on stage, which just again, that, that's one of the one, another thing that sort of made me think, yeah, this is the guy for me. This guy's serious about music, you know.
1: I tell you, there's a great scene in uh, Running Down a Dream, Peter Bogdanovich's uh, documentary, where the guys in the band are talking about that, like how Bob Dylan will just on a whim you know, extend a song or cut a song short and yeah. they actually show one of the performances, I I think it was during uh, Knock It On Heaven's Door, where the band was kind of ramping up, getting ready for the chorus, and Bob just kind of yeah, you know, in the background like hold on hold on hold on and he kept going on the harmonic and everyone's kind of got to be ready for that like yeah okay you know how many more beats are we going before he kicks it in again and then bob would give him a little thumbs up or something and then stan would kick in and then they would get into the but it's as a band like how tough is that yeah like, you know but, it's one yeah to... you're on your toes all the time right the entire set you're like what the hell is going to happen but that invigoration i think especially at that time in the heartbreakers career right like uh to be opening for bob dylan at, at this moment you know they've been a band for quite a while at this point yeah. and to get some that new infusion of of energy like that i think really did them a lot of a lot of good
0: yeah and i think the challenge too of it right and like you said i mean it's one thing like you know lots of musicians and it's and i when you go watch especially local bands where they're smaller you can really see that interaction on stage between band members where they're going for the right bars you just see those little cues and the little looks in between but when it's well, first of all, it's fucking Dylan in front of a huge crowd. And you're not maybe quite used to where it stops and starts or where he sort of drifts into something different and just be able to react to those. Yeah, again, that's just that level of musicianship again, right? So,
1: 100%. And Heartbreakers, everyone kind of thinks that Tom Petty is being Tom Petty, right? But the Heartbreakers as a band. Like you said, just super tight. And yeah, uh, I don't know if they get enough credit uh, in, in the Tom Petty lexicon for, for their contributions because, of course, Tom is the front man. He writes the songs. He's the voice and all that. But, geez, you look at guys like Stan Lynch and Ben Montenge Yeah, and, and, of course, Mike Campbell and even Ron Blair. Uh, back in the time, then you get into Howie. Uh, yeah. You know how integral to the band Howie was, right? Yeah. And just as a band, these guys were phenomenal.
0: Yeah, and it's that – like I know the – um I was talking to – think it was Jeff Slate I was, I was chatting to and he was saying that the E Street band are in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame as a band mm-hmm. alone apart from Springsteen right when you think that's un- really odd and unusual because they've never had any output as a band, they, re- right. they really are, you know I mean? So yeah, Springsteen, Russian, but he doesn't write with them in the same way that Tom Petty wrote with the Heartbreakers. And I always, get, I always, go, I always go through Wikipedia articles and I'll, I change them anywhere it says Tom Petty's backup band. Nope, take that out. It's Tom <laughs> Petty, that's Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers. He was one of the Heartbreakers, you know? It yep. <laughs> Just winds me up.
1: Yeah. <laughs> well, oh, I mean, and because he was 100%, we're a band. Like, yeah, because, you know, Tom Petty had the record deal and Tom Petty, you know, his name had to kind of be up front and all that. Yeah. But yeah, the Heartbreakers were 100% a band and I would love to see like the Heartbreakers as a band be inducted in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame like the E Street Band was because there's so yeah. many interesting parallels like Bruce would even break away from the E Street Band and do a solo album, yeah. like Tunnel of Love or something, right? And and Tom did that and a lot of people are like, well, why the hell, you know, no, this is just Tom Petty, even though a lot of the Heartbreakers played on it, why is it yeah. a solo album without really knowing uh, the history or why, it, you know, he considered those solo albums.
0: It was so crucial, right? Like you said, after coming coming off the back of Southern Accents and let me up, and get into a bit of a creative sort of funk where he wasn't too sure which way he was going to go, then you get that chance happening with the Wilburys, and he forms this connection with Jeff Lynn, and then you get Full Moon Fever, and that just reinvigorates his entire career. And it wasn't just because I don't think it was just because it was a commercial success, but I think that he got back to I think he refell in love with the process. You know, because they, they talked about that in interviews. It was the cycle of album tour, album tour, album tour, album. And it's just endless and it's exhausting. And you, creatively, it would be very difficult to maintain that level of, you know, of excellence. So take that break. Go into the studio with a different approach, with a different guy, you know, and maybe some different musicians too, just to shake things up. I think that prolonged his career. By years and years and years. i think wildflow was the same thing i think mojo was the same thing coming in getting ryan to, to produce that and doing it on live off the floor in the clubhouse all those little things where he, he had sort of had that sense to recognize when i need something here to rechallenge myself and get myself refocused and he wasn't afraid to take those bold steps
1: and jeff lynn was huge in that because up until then you know the heartbreakers would record the same way every time you know live on the floor as a five piece and and do whatever. Right. Whereas Jeff Lynn is very much, you do your part, you do your part. We're going to piece it all together. And just that, that change in how they recorded, like Tom Petty, always said uh, he was always in favor of the, of the process that led to the best uh, output wherever the best product was. Stan Lynch was very much, I hate doing the the Jeff Lynn stuff because you know, he's alone in room. He does the drums that he screws off. Whereas Tom's like, as long as the end product is what I want, I don't care. So that different recording process, I think really helped him. Uh, back in you know the late '80s, doing uh, Full Moon Fever, which you know his big one of his biggest albums of all time.
0: Yeah, and you think about sort of anytime you bring someone else into the studio, it's the same as you know as an audio professional, whatever. If you get someone else in who's got a different skill set and maybe does something in a different way, that's only good because you learn from that and maybe you don't take everything, but you definitely take what you need, right? And I remember talking to my buddy Randy about how they would record drums back then. And he said quite often the drummer's not playing that lick. He's playing the snare, and then on the next take, he's playing the kick, and then on the next, and sometimes it'll just be a programmed hat, and then they'll play the toms, sometimes will be live because it's hard to do a fill one at a time. But then you can piece those together. And he said that was, Jeff Lynne did that, because back in the ELO days, he really wanted that very tight control over the sound and the separation of those sounds, so you don't get bleed from the cymbals into the snare and all those kinds of things. So, But as a drummer, I mean, you you play drums too. Can you imagine having to try <laughs> to get your timing on one of your drums? They've been nightmare an absolute nightmare especially for a guy like
1: stan lynch right like mm-hmm. he, he's a performance drummer you know to yeah. sit there like, okay we're doing the snare today boom, boom, boom. yeah like he would for be out of his mind <laughs> for hours yeah <laughs> I, you could see why he would hate it but i get jeff lynn's point of view too and you just think of how brilliant is jeff lynn to like be able to to think of that right and to separate those and then put them all together yeah. and, and make a masterpiece
0: yeah, no, and a great, a great musician, a great songwriter, in his own right too. And any time you hear him interviewed, it's the same with all those, all the Wilburys, right? They're, they're all just very genuine humble, and they've no right to be as humble as they are because they're all Hall of Famers, you know. And for mm-hmm. Christ, you got a Beatle there for God's sake! You got Roy Orbison who used to party with Elvis. Like these guys are serious, serious top end, elite level talents. But they were just five musicians who got together in a room, wrote a song a day, and then sat around and got Roy Orbison to tell them stories about Elvis. That was that was the mo mo, you know. That was that's what they did.
1: Well, and the the way that they all came together, like I know on your show, you talked about, uh, you know, Tom Petty going to buy the baseball mitt and meeting Jeff Lynn kind of on the street there. Yeah. And just, hey, we should get, and, you know, the, all the, you know, the George Harrison leaving guitar, Tom Petty's like, well, I'm going to go record this B-side over at Bob Dylan's studio because he's, he's got a studio. You want to come? Yeah, I'll come. And they show up, oh, Roy Orbison's here. Well, let, let's get him involved and. There's Bob Dylan just kind of grilling for everybody, you know, burgers and steaks and shit while yeah. they're writing music, and then they come up with "Handle with Care," and then Warner Brothers is like, "This isn't a B side, like, yeah, this is way too good to put on a B side, so
0: yeah. oh, we'll just keep going again. We'll write nine more of these and make an album." It's so funny to you because because the names are such household names and we all know them. Probably Jeff Lynne actually would have been the least known in the in the states, I would think, out of the oh, five, yeah. and Petty probably in England would have been the least would have been the least, but but we forget. They are still just musicians. And they enjoy, what musicians enjoy more than anything else, is sitting around playing music and talking about music with other musicians. And so it doesn't really matter to them that that's Roy Orbison or that's Bob Dylan or you've heard the anecdote, I'm sure, where um, they're all sitting around and Harrison goes to grab a drink or something and Dylan leans over very seriously and says to Tom Petty, you know he was in the Beatles, right?
1: <laughs> <laughs> and the funny thing is, like, they didn't really care so much that Harrison was in the Beatles. It was Roy Orbison's right there. Like you yeah. said, he used he to party man, with yeah. Elvis. Yeah, tell us Elvis stories.
0: <laughs> and again another almost he's, he's kind of a, a, an artist i think who's kind of been forgotten everyone remembers pretty woman everyone knows you know crying those the big hits and things but everyone forgets what a, a super inventive songwriter roy orbison was he would write songs that had eight verses no chorus one verse two bridges or one co- like he just he fucked around with the form all the time and just wrote whatever whatever he felt and that voice I mean, my God, what a singer!
1: Well, it's iconic, and he was going through a real career renaissance at this time. Like, uh, you know, Tom Petty had, uh, with Jeff Lynne, had written, uh, written, not written, they they wrote uh, "You Got It" uh, for his uh, uh, yes. solo record at the time. That was very, very big. Uh, and, you know, it's, I can't believe we're writing a song with Roy Orbison, but, yeah. you know, Roy Orbison was getting really big at that time. And Tom Pitt even tells a story. Like he said, I talked to him two days before he died. And Roy was like, Can you believe that Wilburys went platinum? This is so great. And <laughs> let's take it on the road. And I can't wait for the next one. And then yeah. before you know it, he's gone. It's unbelievable.
0: And it still, still breaks your heart when you watch that video and you see the empty rocking chair. It still, yeah. it really still pulls on your heartstrings. And of course, watching that video now, because Tom's gone and George is gone as well, It's it's, it's kind of hard to watch sometimes, you know. <laughs>
1: Yeah, it's just Bob and Jeff at this point. And-
0: but that's End of the Line, right? I think that's the video for End of the Line. Yeah. That?
1: Yeah, that's right. It is, yeah. Yeah, because uh, Roy was in the video for Handle with Care.
0: That's right. Okay, so we get into Full Moon Fever. That sort of kickstarts your interest in in Petty. And so after that, then we get into Into the Grey Wide Open, which has a huge single off that one too, right? The, the title tracks a big single. And then you get Greatest Hits, and we get into that stuff. So, so do you remember when because I always use Wildflowers as my sort of a real strong touch, but do you remember when that came out? Were you listening to Petty and actively sort of looking for that when it came out? Oh, totally. I was
1: in university around that time and a buddy of mine uh, named Rob Keyes, we really got into a a bunch of different music together. That's how I kind of got really deep into Queen around that time too. And uh, Tom Petty's Greatest Hits was a huge album for us. Like we spun that all the time Yeah. because I didn't listen to a lot of older Petty at that time. So I, you know, you always know about uh, American Girl. Yeah. And, uh, re- refugee and songs like that. But that's where I really started to delve into the, 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 the catalog a little bit more. And like I said, into the great wide open was a big album and then wildflowers hit. And, and, you know, that, that first single comes out, uh, you don't know how it feels. And yeah, the, the iconic Saturday night live performance too with Dave Grohl. Yeah. And and you're like, this is amazing. And then you wreck me comes out and you, you pick up that album and it's so eclectic and it's so just incredibly well-written. And that's when I really realized we're dealing with, uh, just the epitome of singer songwriter. Like he is yeah. one of the greatest songwriters of all time, bar none. And Wildflowers yeah. just encapsulates that so well because all those songs are just incredibly well written. Uh, you Wreck Me is a perfect song. It's one yeah. of my favorite songs of all time. Uh, lyrically, how it's put together, musically, yeah. it's played perfectly um i'll be the boy in the corduroy prance you'll be the girl to high school dance i was that yeah. kid in the corduroy pants <laughs> i could relate to that tom petty relates to me this is amazing uh that, that you know that that song is, is a masterwork it's yeah. absolutely unreal
0: that album sounds so i mean rick rubin what again another genius kind of thing to bring in rick rubin who wasn't really known for rock and roll back then he was you know def jam and he was he was more into sort of the hip-hop stuff so to, to bring him in and i for, if people forget too that rick rubin was only I think he was 32, 33. He was a pretty young fella at that time. So to bring him in and for Tom to bring him in and trust him with this thing that was, you know, I think he realized fairly shortly in the process that I'm onto something a bit bigger than maybe I've done before. So to trust this young kid who's somewhat untested with rock and roll, what is, but again, just that sort of that sense to be able to know when you need a change to recognize that someone can help you. And again, through that process, obviously stands left. And to, to know when Steve Ferroni sits down and plays the drum beat, dum, dum, tsh, dum, dum, you know, he plays that little drum beat. So that's the guy we need. That's the guy who's got the rhythm and the groove and the feel that we need for this album. Very prescient.
1: Oh, totally. And he got it back on the floor in the studio playing his band uh, because Absolutely. into the grade right open, there were, you know, how did Tom put it? He said, uh, we're all a bit moody in that period. So they recorded all their stuff separate and put it together yeah. after the fact, yeah. but wildflowers brought everything back together. And, uh, you know, you can have songs like wildflowers, which kicks off the album, this nice, just quiet acoustic thing. And then you got like songs like cabin down below or honeybee, like yeah. these the kind of hard, heavy rocker types that, that just work on the same album together yeah. uh, as a real Testament to Tom and to Rick Rubin. Like, like you said, just, he did things completely different than Jeff Lynn and the outcome was still a masterpiece.
0: Absolutely. And again, during those sessions, you mentioned, you know, we're talking about Greatest Hits there and Last Dance with Mary Jane. Here's a question for you, because I was talking to someone about this the other day. I can't think of another band's Greatest Hits album where they put, you know, when they record extra tracks, because the the label needs a new song to sell the album. Mm -hmm. I can't think of another one that's got a song as strong as that, that actually, had it not been on the Greatest Hits and just been released as a single or been released on another album, that would be on the Greatest Hits. You know what I mean? Hundred percent. Yeah, I can't think no. of another one.
1: They're, they're always are uh, always castoffs, like B sides or just yeah. discarded things from wherever. And and yeah, and uh, Mary Jane's Last Dance actually came uh, from the Full Moon Fever uh, sessions, if I remember correctly. He was kind of working on it around that time and just kind
0: of revived it uh, for the yeah. Mary's he had Dance. the idea for it, yeah, and then the, absolutely, yeah. So yeah,
1: and but there yeah, was I mean, a second it, song on there too. Uh, Something in the air was yeah. brand new off that, and that's another one. That's a great Tom Petty and the Heartbreaker song.
0: Yeah. Well, again, you get now you start getting into the covers. That's where you started talking about, you know, again, one of my guests said that Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers were probably one of the all-time, if not the all-time great cover bands, because they would Mm -hmm. do, you know, when they did their sets, they'd do 23, 24 songs. They'd always put in two or three covers. And when you go to setlist.fm and you look through the volume of covers that that band did, it's in, they've done about 300 covers live, which is just incredible, right? To have that sort of breadth of, and again, that background, and and it's Carl Perkins and it's JJ Kale and it's, you know, it's, chuck berry and, it, and it's the stones and it's the beatles just have all those influences and be able to pull them out and just say yeah let's do this one tonight and we'll re- obviously that's a spur of them we'll rehearse it a little bit run through it a couple times Everyone remembers where the changes are what kiri in. ak let's do it just crazy you
1: know <laughs> and thunderclap newman who who originally mm-hmm. did something in the air i've never heard of thunderclap newman before but like this is a really great song And then you look into yeah. it and it's like it's not even tom petty's thunderclap nope. newman released that in 1969 Put together, really put together, put
0: together by uh, by Pete Townsend from the Who. It was kind of an assembled band to showcase the talents of the guitarist. And so oh. they did one album, and then they disappeared from the face of the earth. So it's it's a weird little, it's a weird little thing. But during that session where they recorded something in the air, I think they recorded something around sixteen or seventeen covers in oh. like two or three days or something like that. Wow. And so they picked off something there. You know, there was one that kind of stood out, and it's always kind of unusual. that you thought that it maybe it would be a bird's song that they would yeah. put on there because they loved tom loved roger mcguinn so much that maybe it would be a, a bird song that would make it but yeah thunder i mean that song fits beautifully and sort of dovetails the whole thing so
1: absolutely and and that was the album that really got me into uh, the back catalog of tom petty because the american yeah. girl breakdown listen to her heart i need to know like all the crates are on that one so it's like you pick up damn the torpedoes uh you know you pick up you're gonna get it and yeah southern accents and you're like holy shit like this guy just from day one uh this band was firing on all cylinders
0: and it's funny too when you look at greatest, me and um my co- my album rap uh, co-host, uh, John Paulson, we're going to be talking about this because we were looking at that and you look at what's not on that album, on Grace, it's Insider's not on there. Mm-hmm. Um, You've got like, there's at least, I think what I was talking about, Straight Into Darkness, which again, wasn't released as a single, but it's just a monumental song. So you think about the stuff that got left on, that could have been a double album quite easily, you know? Oh yeah. Southern Accents isn't on there. And Southern Accents isn't on there, yeah. Crazy. In fact, yeah, I think only Don't Come Around Here No More is the only one
1: from Southern Accents on that album. Yeah, that's right. It is, yeah. And then, then you got, you know, the three uh, big ones from his solo effort, uh, yeah. Running Down a Dream, Free Fall, and Learning to Fly, which, you know, famously Stan Lynch hated, uh, Howie hated, Ben Bond yeah. didn't want to play him. And then the irony is, is that those were like Tom Petty's three biggest hits, yeah. and they had to play it on every single show since then. So
0: I think Stan, some, Stan said something along the lines of that where, those were basically we're covering someone else's songs and it's you know stan was stan stan and he's he holds his hands up to his stubbornness as a young man and says that you know i was a more more of a dick than i needed to be but so mm. it's still just why wouldn't you want to play these phenomenal songs i'm like, running down a dream to go play that live anyone would want to do that in front of a packed house right and you know, watch steve ferroni when he's playing it oh,
1: like yeah. you you can't sandblast the smile off his face he is having <laughs> a ball Like even howie when they're recording uh, he told Tom, you know, I really don't like this song. And Tom's like, well, if you don't like it, don't play on
0: it, how he fucked off.
1: <laughs> and that song was Free falling. yeah It's like, Free Fall," really?
0: <laughs> yeah, it's just nuts. And then I think it was, that's right around the same time where Mike had written um, Boys of Summer, or the music for what would become Don Henley's Boys of Summer. And mm-hmm. Tom passed on that one, right? So, so again, you think, <laughs> it's so weird because I, I, Boys of Summer is a phenomenal song. And it would be weird to hear different words over it. It would be, you know, I don't, I don't know if it would have fit with what they were doing back then. I think maybe it was, might've been before that actually might've been let me, I have had enough but I have to look at the dates, but, but yeah, just, so, and again, you know, you, you get into, we talked about Dylan, but then there was Johnny band, uh, Johnny Cash's house band on his, that second mm-hmm. album with Rick Rubin, um, how he produced uh, John Prine's, a John Prine album that won a Grammy and all the heartbreakers played on it. They played cool. on Stevie Nicks' album on Belladonna. They played on, they played on so many, when you get into, it, it's like these guys played with. In everyone, so they must have been like I said. It goes back to a: they must have been a good band, but B: they must have been really good to work with because you don't bring people in who're going to cause problems or are going to be difficult to work with, no matter how good they are, right? So,
1: well, especially Johnny Cash, right? Like mm-hmm. the
0: legendary Johnny Cash. Yeah, you got to yeah. be something for Johnny
1: to say, "Yell." Yeah, uh, what did he say uh, forgive me if I get the quote wrong it's been a while since I've seen the movie but Tom said uh, Johnny sent him a note that said something like you're a good guy to ride the river with or something yes. like that that's exactly it yes yeah <laughs> and you can see Tom just like it's the greatest thing anybody's ever said to me like yeah. Johnny Cash said that about me but you talk and he did Johnny Cash did a version of I won't back down which yeah I think Tom even said I wish I'd never sang it because he did a much better version <laughs> it's just it's iconic Johnny Cash's version of that is unbelievable
0: well and that line that line um, from Walls some days are diamonds some days are rocks that's another thing Johnny Cash had said to Tom and Tom's like hey I'll file that away because I can probably <laughs> use that at some point you know and lyrically one of my favorite Tom Petty songs was uh, was Walls like it, it's just brilliant it's just and that it's was poetry. one that it was one that I didn't hear I would say I only can't stump, okay I've talked about this before, but she's the one the the, the music the album uh, the original soundtrack I sort of just never bothered listening to it because I thought I thought it was a a sort of a typical movie soundtrack and that there'll be one or two Tom Petty songs on it. I didn't realize that it was actually a Tom Petty studio album. So I Walls passed me by completely for a long time. And I'd say it was probably only about maybe four years, five years ago. So maybe Mm -hmm. just right around the time Tom died that I stumbled across it. And I thought, I've missed this for so long. This is beautiful. And you get two versions of it. On the record, you know, you get that big rocked up version, the sort of the swingy version with um, Lindsey Lindsay Buckingham singing backup vocals. And then you get to the stripped down one, which is, I think, probably, well, no, but I won't say that because I'm going to ask you in the 10 questions. But <laughs> I love both versions, but that stripped down version, the way, when he played it live um, on that PBS special where he's wearing the, the black polar neck yep. and he's just, it's just him on acoustic and then the band comes in quite quietly. Man, God, what a beautiful, beautiful track. And the lyrics, yeah, the lyrics are phenomenal.
1: And you talk about that album, you know, uh, Change the Locks a great yeah. rock from that album and angel dream uh there's another one that had two different versions on that album right and uh, yeah. i went and got the the new uh version angel dream on vinyl uh just yeah. a, a couple months ago and, and spun that and it's such a great album
0: did you get the colored vinyl or did you just get I the did. regular yeah the oh dude. no you
1: got to get covered yeah you got to get colored, you gotta <laughs> get
0: colored. <laughs> <laughs> would you pick that up do you have a do you have a decent record store in Waven? or do you have to do you have to search online
1: you know, I got a couple of used uh, outlets uh, mm-hmm. nearby, but uh, we traveled to Regina quite a bit, and there's the oh, Sunrise nice. Records in Regina, so they had the color vinyl of, uh, of Angel Dream. Oh, that's awesome.
0: Yeah, I'm really looking forward to the um, the Fillmore box set coming out.
1: Oh, that's going to be amazing. so
0: good. And I've got... So you should... Yeah, definitely there's, there's that contest online to win the Uber Deluxe, which is... I mean, when you look at that thing, it's got that symbol case. That's what... Mm-hmm. Penn, I mean, Penny's Estate has done a phenomenal job of sort of continuing the legacy and not you know, some people will say they're cashing in, but they're putting out products and they're putting out things that the fans haven't heard before and they're packaging them in a way that sort of makes it more appealing and more interesting because you're getting sort of, you know, the replica laminers and the, the laminates and the, the set list, the replica set list and all that kind of stuff. And that's something that makes it, it's not just the songs anymore. Now it's the it's the package that becomes important, right? So I'm really looking forward to that. Could
1: not agree more. And one of the shows I do is on, on Van Halen. And they're the worst for that. They <laughs> they don't do anything with that. Like they yeah. they you know, there's talk of reissuing the first six, but Alex hates Sammy for whatever reason. They won't reissue any of the Sammy albums. Like they could be putting out all this stuff. Eddie left a treasure trove of stuff. Yeah, you know the, you know you know, keep flying the flag. And, you know, I love that the Tom Petty estate is doing this for us because, you know, even just angel dream, I've, you know, I never had, yeah. she's the one on vinyl. Now I have angel dream on vinyl. It sounds amazing. Yeah. I can't wait for the film stuff and there's going to be more, yeah. uh, you know, e- even little things like, uh, you know, when they release, uh, keeping me alive. I remember when I heard that on the, uh, on the tom petty documentary and he was yeah. he was lamenting the fact that he got talked out of putting it on long after dark like this song's great where the hell can i find this song and yeah. finally they released it so i can listen to keeping me alive whenever i want i love that song
0: yeah and playback and the american treasure and the live anthology and the, you know there's so much stuff in there and again it, it, i think it, it's weird though because it it never really gets boring because it's not just you know Queen did that a lot with it. with you've got live at Hammersmith, live at the party, you've got all these live shows, and there's sort of one live set, and it's great because then you get to hear that that full concert. But the petty essays that they pick and choose sort of the, the best version. So again, it's it's more than just I don't know, like another live set. It's kind of this thing that takes on a new life, and especially with the Fillmore stuff, because obviously that was the residency. And so mm-hmm. they weren't constrained to the same set list every night, you know, more or less, give or take three or four songs with more spans, is true, right? But they they could do say, okay, we well, you know what? Let's do a song from Long After Dark that we haven't done in 10, 15 years. Let's do a cover that we've never done before. Let's try this. So they have that freedom. And so you get this sort of completely different experience for them and for the fans. So to package that and then you know, so because everyone knew everyone knew those shows had been recorded. And it was 97. So fans have been waiting a long time for those things to come out. So there's so much excitement, right?
1: Oh, that's such a great point. Just about the the very you know, the very output that we get. You talked about Queen. I love all the stuff they're releasing after the fact, but they released two concerts from the Flash Tour. Yeah, and it's like okay, or like from the Hot Space Tour actually. You got uh, you know Queen on Fire at Hollywood, you know, and then you oh, got that's right, uh, yeah. Queen Rocks Montreal. Uh, we're yeah. both from the same tour, and it's like, well, these are pretty similar. So I I like the fact that especially with the filmer stuff and the live anthology, you're you're getting different versions. Like even the version of I Won't Back Down on yeah. uh, Live Anthology is just stripped down with an acoustic guitar. You know, much slower tempo. Not my favorite version of "I Won't Back Down." That'd probably be the uh, the Gainesville uh, concert. Oh God, yeah, uh, that's th- oh. that. That is the ultimate version of "I Won't Back Down" for me. I just love everything about that. But um, thank God for the Tom Petty Estate. Like they're just doing it, doing right by us fans. And I wish other bands, <clears throat> Van Halen, would would kind of pick up on that <laughs> and maybe do a little something for their fans too. Well,
0: we'll have to get Eric Sarnich on it, right? We'll have to get Eric to, to start pushing this a little bit, <laughs> see if they can make some waves to make them think about it. So that's right that's right so did you ever see did you ever see the heartbreakers live Corey?
1: i never did no. i know in 2010 on the mojo tour they were hitting saskatoon and i can't remember what happened that i was unable to go but I, I never i know me and another guy around here were kind of hoping like oh you're on the 40th maybe they'll add another leg you know usually yeah. they do the first leg big markets in north america then usually they go to europe for a little bit and then usually they come back and do a second leg in north america and maybe do some smaller b markets yeah and that's usually where saskatoon fits in so we're kind of holding out hope Unfortunately, shortly after the first leg, uh, Tom passed away, and yeah, uh, it's one of the big regrets uh, of my life for sure. Is I never got to see Tom Petty in the Heartbreakers.
0: Yeah, mine too. It's it's one of those things too that sort of yeah, because I really got i would say I got became a big fan. I don't know, twenty fifteen, and yeah, I think on the on the fortieth anniversary tour, did they hit? Was it just Toronto or Toronto Montreal or maybe did they do? The they West did Coast? Vancouver too. Did Vancouver I'm as pretty well?
1: Sure, they did Vancouver.
0: Yeah. Yes, yeah, so that's a long travel if you're not. You know if you're not absolutely gaga like even food fighters who i've seen the last four tours they've come through i don't think i would be traveling to vancouver or toronto that's a that's a big ticket man like heck of a drive right. yeah, closest yeah, it's... yeah like if
1: you're looking to drive i know queen and paul rogers i drove 12 and a half hours to st paul minnesota oh wow uh, to see him there so Uh, that kind of would have been a possibility but when you're you know you got a young family and stuff it's harder to justify hopping in a car for two days to go see a band so i was hoping they'd come a little closer even if it was like calgary edmonton or winnipeg you know you can make those in a day at least and and those are pretty easy but unfortunately it wasn't meant to be
0: yeah i'm really hoping that mike campbell comes through with the dirty knobs um oh no i'm sure i'm sure because they've finished this tour now i'm sure they'll there's probably back in the studio already recording the next album because that's mike campbell right but I'm hoping that they come through and hit some of those, like you said, some of those smaller markets, because that's that's the band that they are now. They're not a huge arena rock band. They're hitting, you know, audience Events Center in Saskatoon would probably, or the, maybe the TCU Place downtown. That would be perfect size for that band, right? So keeping everything crossed that they'll, they'll come through. Or even Stan Lynch with Speaker Wars. Have you heard any of their stuff, the Speaker Wars, Stan Lynch's band? Not really. Not not a ton. I hear they're really good, though. I guarantee you'd enjoy it. It's really yeah. It really reminds me of, um, a, well, not all of it. The, the last song they did didn't, but the stuff, it's it's sort of almost like Damn the Torpedoes here Heartbreakers. It's got that kind of late 70s honest to goodness, rock and roll, guitars, drums, no fucking around. And then the last song they did reminded me a little bit more of Queen because it's got these big, <laughs> huge multi-part harmonies. I was like, man, yeah, gotta go see these boys live because they're, they're just rocking.
1: I mean, I tell you what, if they come within like a 12-hour drive of us, uh, I'll pick you up, Kevin,
0: we'll go, we'll go. Them Absolutely. <laughs> okay, so We've gone through, we were sort of up to, and we we're just talking about Mojo a little bit there. So Mojo comes out, and again, that was an album that probably I wouldn't have skipped over, but I didn't. it didn't strike me quite as hard as it should have done the first time I heard it. But I think possibly it's because it's very, very different, because it's got that really bluesy feel, and it starts out with that harmonica and Jer- Jefferson Jericho blues, and it's got that super live feeling, and it was recorded live off the floor with almost no overdubs. Um, but then going back, it's an album that I go back to time and time again now, because I think, again, it's that showcase of when you consider that, that the way it was recorded, that's another example of, well, this band, and especially at that stage in their career, they're really tight, and they could do what Kiss does. They could do what you know Queen does or whatever. They could just go into greatest hits mode, and people, they would sell out every single stadium they, they book, and it would be fine, and no one would begrudge it. But the Heartbreakers, what do they do? Well, let's write a blues record, and let's do it live. And let's do this fan release, where we release it to the fan club online early. And so again, that just that sense of sort of, fuck it, let's just let's do what we want. we get to this point in our career now; we can do what we want, and this is what we want to do. I just love that about that that record.
1: Oh, me too. And uh, one of my favorite uh, records actually before that, the Last DJ. I, I love yes. what they did on that record. But again, you know, kind of night and day difference between Last DJ and, and Mojo, and, yeah. and that's the brilliance of this band, right? They have they could really do anything, yeah. whether you know they they could do a hard heavy song. That Dave Groh goes, fuck yeah, like yeah. honeybee. That is a that, that's a fucking banger. And they can, yeah. you know, and they can do something quiet and nice like wildflowers. And they can do something, you know, like uh Jefferson Jericho Blues or something from, from Mojo. Just do a yeah. blues record and and own that too. It's it just shows the brilliance of, of Tom Petty.
0: like last DJ is one of those again I think it gets again it gets forgotten it's one of those ones ones that gets forgotten about like which artist at whatever level they're at can make a record that deliberately antagonizes record companies and calls them out for their bullshit and releases it on a major label and some of the track again, some of the tracks off that record are just phenomenal i've loved with travels on there you've got i think when a kid goes bad is on there i think right that's on there it is yep dreamville is brilliant Dreamville's on there it's such a phenomenal record
1: and it, it, it's kind of timely now with, you know, like things like the sale of Twitter, when you have Tom Petty talking about, you know, the boys upstairs want to see how much he will pay for a thing you used to get for free. Absolutely. You
0: know, we're, we're still getting that. <laughs> and, T- and Ticketmaster, right? Yeah. Ticketmaster with their flex pricing and Springsteen tickets going for four and a half thousand dollars. And can you imagine what Tom Petty would think of that?
1: Oh my god. This, this would, is the
0: guy that didn't want his record going up like a yeah. dollar what $1 and 1 cent
1: or something. $1 like yeah. <laughs> yeah. One exact yeah. 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 998 not on my watch buddy. <laughs> <laughs> or 989 I guess it would have been. Yeah. Whatever the number was. I I I love that story. Even when he t- tells a story he's like, "Yeah, I realize it doesn't seem like that big of a jump, but yeah. in hindsight back then it really was another buck for a record like, you know, we couldn't stand for it."
0: Well, and that was back in the days when, because we both grew up with physical media, which you know the generations behind us have very little concept. Millennials maybe, but the, my kids have no, they've never put something into something else to watch or listen to it for the most part, right? It's right. all on a device. It's all on the phone. It's all on whatever it's on. It's on the TV. So we listen to music and if you're a big avid music fan, you bought a lot of tape cassettes or vinyl or whatever it might be. And that does start to mount up. That might be the difference between being able to buy the new Tom Petty record or not been able to buy it. So I think that was very, it was savvy of him in a way, but he was, the argument was very genuine. And I'm pretty sure that was the, that was the, the time when they, when he was meeting, was it then, or was it during the um, bankruptcy things where he, where he was in a meeting with all the suits and he said that no one was listening. They weren't listening to what I was saying. So he takes a switchblade out and just stabs into the desk and, yeah, then, they li- and then, back- then they yeah. listened.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I love that where the, the studio sends it like they're big, tough guy, like just back down, kid. Like, who the hell yeah. do you think you are? Tom? But he said, I'd rather sell peanuts than give it to you. Like, yeah, I'm not backing down. And yeah. then he would write a song that is my favorite of all time. Yeah, about not backing down.
0: <laughs> Absolutely brilliant. And so, with, um, yeah, so we've been through this, so we talk about Mojo, and then I always tell people that there's two things that happen after Mojo. And that's one of them is that we get Mud Crutch. And so Tom Petty decides I can sell out arenas, that's great. And I've got this band, The Heartbreakers, who are universally loved, we're Hall of Fame. I think the next thing I really need to do is put together the band that I started that it, where it all started with all my old friends, and we'll just go play small little twelve hundred seaters. Who yeah. again, do you know of any other of major actors ever done that? I just can't think of anyone who's ever done that.
1: There, there I, there's not one you don't see gene simmons and paul stanley saying you know <laughs> let's get the guys we kind of started out with and, and, and reinvent that band." no no yeah. one's doing that yeah but yeah then you know and i guess when you've done it all like tom petty you know let's get the old guys from mud crutch yeah. and, yeah.
0: and put on an album and they put out two didn't
1: they yeah uh, with my crutch and yeah
0: mud yeah. and again some phenomenal songs and they got a number one single off the second album i think that wasn't even written by tom so you know that you get this, you get this thing again where you've got Benmont Ben takes a lead vocal and Mike Campbell takes a lead vocal. Sp- I did he did take one on Echo, I think that's the one that Mike sings on. There's one song there. i have to check okay. that now that I've said that. Yeah. I don't want to get in trouble with the Tom Petty uh, nerd community because I don't want to get that wrong. Are but they then, as you know, bad as
1: the Van Halen nerd community? I gotta ask, because uh, we get raked over the coals <laughs> quite a bit.
0: They're gentle but firm. Gentle firm, they're, they're opposites, but they're they're polite, usually, and the Tom Petty Nation, the, the Facebook group, is very well policed, so it, it doesn't get out of hand because people don't let it get out of hand, and everyone sort of understands, but if you make a mistake, yeah, you're going to get 20 people jumping. <laughs> Within two minutes of you posting that, you're going to get corrected very, very quickly, right? So
1: Yeah. As long as it's politely corrected, yeah. I could live with that, but it's when the guys say, you guys really don't fucking know what the hell you're talking about. It's yeah. Like,
0: well, I never said I did, but thanks yeah. for listening. <laughs> I mean, you literally say the opposite. And in, in yeah. the podcast in the open, you literally say that you're not experts. You you say that you're not music <laughs> historians. What do you want? What do you want us to do, guys? You know. So.
1: No, we're learning as we go. That's why yeah. we bring Greg Renoff and Eric Senich on the show so they yeah. can teach us.
0: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, and so, where can people find you, Corey? If people are looking for, because I and really strongly urge people to check out um, and the podcast will rock. Backtrack, uh, backtrack Aerosmith backtracks tracks. Back sorry, tracks right? Backtracks Aerosmith revisited. revisited. Yeah. Revisited and backtracks uh, theme music. So theme music. And again, I'm I'm up to episode twenty. Eight, I think, on Aerosmith. I've enjoyed that, and it took me. I was, I think, I can't remember I was talking to you about this, but it took me a little while because I'd listened to. I think I'd listened to the entire run of the Aerosmith show, uh, sort of the Van Halen show, before I listened to Aerosmith, and so I was really used to you hearing your voice and Mark's. So then listen to you and john it's like well who's this guy who's kind of <laughs> screwing up the floor and just being mean all the time like but then, <laughs> then when you find that when you realize what that right relationship is it's like okay no i i get what this is now and it's like okay i love it's different but i really like, still like it but you're the common denominator between the two so so where can they oh, yeah, find you
1: me. oh they can find us uh van halen if you like that show www.podcastwellrock.com catch up on old episodes get some merch I know we have one of Kevin's designs. Actually, the play Splat and Bone. It won't let me upload for some reason. I got to keep working on that. But you can get yourself a Calta Mariano shirt there. That's for sure. Designed by one Kevin Brown. Um, You can find us wherever you get your podcasts and uh, on Twitter uh, at podcastwellrock.com. If you like Aerosmith, catch us out or check us out at uh, Backtracks Aerosmith Revisited. Currently, we're just on Twitter at BT Aerosmith. You got some good episodes coming your way, my friend. When we get into the 30s, uh, a friend of ours, mutual friend Jeff Saunders, just loaded his dice with hits. So we have like crazy coming up. We have ragdoll coming up. We have, I don't want to miss a thing is coming up. It's been released already, but I can't wait to get your uh, take on our, uh, on our episode on that one. And what did you call that one? Show.
0: What did you call that one? You don't call, I don't want to miss a thing. What did you call it? I don't want to lick your thing.
1: It's, <laughs> <laughs> it's kind of how it's known. So uh, with the hardcore Aerosmith fans. Uh, and we do a show on movie music too backtracks the music. I know just earlier tonight, uh, we recorded a, sh- a show uh, with a guest on the theme song "The Cannonball Run by Ray Stevens. So we're hitting the gamut on that one. We just did a Crash Test Dummy show. Uh, we did a Bon Jovi show right after that. Um, just, you know, m- uh, music and movies, uh, two of our favorite things. And on my very first uh, pick was uh, Tiny Dancer from Almost Famous, one of my favorite songs from my favorite movie.
0: Okay, so well, that's all really for this week, folks. Um, yeah, go check out. I- I'll leave all my stuff online you know where to find me you can find me on twitter at tom petty project you can find me on facebook and youtube you know you know where i am at this point so um but definitely go check out Corey and check out his co-hosts mark co-hosts mark meyer and uh john mariano who is a very unique individual and very very funny um just go check him grumpy out on bastard grumpy. grumpy bastard <laughs> he's a misanthrope right <laughs> <laughs> but you know and i think i was t- we were talking offline before we started here one of the things that i've found not just with the Tom Petty community, but with the podcasting community is I've just ended up making a lot of online friends who are so supportive. And You know, we rolled out our, me and my friend rolled out our Queen podcast today, and we've already got a ton of downloads and some, lots of engagement online. And that's because people like you, people like the guys from the Lap Pods uh, podcast are so supportive, retweet and sort of comment on things. And that little community that we've got going of independent podcasters is just such a wonderful thing to be part of, right?
1: Oh, it really is. And, uh, you know, Scott Haskin, uh, from the magicians podcast, that's the right heap show. Yeah. Uh, he's now our permanent co-host on uh backtracks Aerosmith revisited starting around show 38. So uh, you have that to look forward to, and he's going to be part of the live show we got coming up as well as uh, George, uh, from the Judas priest cast. So, uh, yeah. it, it's a great little community and, and we all kind of, you know, interact with each other and uh, they're all different shows and all different people. And, uh, it, it all works uh, just support in, independent podcasters support music podcasters and support kevin brown uh, he he's one of the best ones out there i love your show can't wait to hear the queen one i'm a little pissed that i'm not on it but you know what i'll get over it
0: me and randy were talking about that when we recorded we just want to get a couple more, we, want, we want to get a couple of wheel spins on our belt and then i think generally literally episode four we want to get you one because that's We've got to pay homage to the to the godfather of this format, you know. It's because the it's funny. It's one of those things where that podcast, the relationship between you and Mark is definitely what carries it, but the format does a lot of heavy lifting for you because it creates the format itself creates a little bit of conflict, and you can sort of have a Mm -hmm. conversation online because you get the you put your polls out, and that gets that conversation going. So it's just such a brilliantly brilliantly conceived format that it's like I'm gonna ask I'm gonna ask Corey if I can do this. I'm gonna do see if I can do a Queen. You said yes. I was like fuck this is gonna be awesome i can't wait <laughs> well
1: and we got to give credit to pot of thunder uh, yes of course you know they they ran so we could walk but yeah. i hope your wheel is as funky as ours because you okay. know we went like 10 shows before we got a sammy tune like it was all dave early yeah uh and then it, just these little idiosyncrasies we got with the wheel then eric sarah eric Sanich comes on calls a shot yeah calls for cabo wabo gets it i called my shot one week got it so that that's two now in the first 50 episodes where where someone has called their shot and got the song, but it's so weird to see how they all fall. And I know like you're the big number cruncher and you've been posting the numbers for us on Twitter. We've got like nothing from Diver Down yet. We've done like half of a different kind of truth, which is so weird. Like you you think it'd be a little more evenly
0: spread out, but
1: so I really hope your wheel is eclectic.
0: It's it's the beauty of randomness, right?
1: (laughs) It really is. And if I uh, spin Delilah, when I come on your show, I'm going to be so pissed. (laughs)
0: No mulligans on my show either. There's no mulligans, We're no
1: duo.
0: No <laughs> you you put that now. you put that paranoia in my head that the first five songs we're going to do are going to be all Brian May vocals. So, we're not going to get to talk about Freddie.
1: It's going to be all from like Made in Heaven. You're, yes. you're going to get like five tracks off Made in Heaven. You're going to be like, what the hell are we get ourselves into?
0: <laughs> awesome, my friend. Okay. Well, we'll leave it there, folks. Um, yeah. Um, like I said, go check out Corey, go check out all the shows that he's on. Um, and the day after this releases, is going to be the Fillmore '97 box set um, release party in the basement at Winston's. So, if you are in Saskatoon, and I think maybe one or two people, maybe in Saskatchewan, listen to this podcast, but come down. We're going to have a big party, and it's going to be the first chance to listen to those tracks. Uh, and I was very, very surprised and, and honored to be able to throw that party. I think we're the only one in Canada, Corey. We're the only venue in Canada that's actually hosting a um, an announcement party, which is fantastic, right? So, yeah.
1: So I'm already, I'm checking my work schedule. Like, can I make the four hour drive to Saskatoon? and go party listening to that with with my good buddy Kevin Run I really hope I can make it